stood for the reading of his word during our reading this morning. And we're going to get in verses 1 through 3. And this is going to be the, the beginning of a new sermon series for Sunday morning uh, on John chapter 6. Looking forward to getting into it. As mentioned, I believe, last week, um, uh, actually it was last Sunday down in Cardiff, I had mentioned verse 70, using it as a uh, reference in the message that I was preaching there. And um, in doing so, it uh, I, I kind of taught a little bit on that, that verse 70, which is an intriguing verse. And uh, as I began to dig, it just the Lord laid upon my heart, I believe, to go back and we'll preach the entire chapter. So hopefully, Lord willing, this year uh, we'll get into verse 70 where this series is kicked off of. Chapter 6 in verse number 1, the Bible says, And these things Jesus went, uh, and after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them. That were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together this morning. I thank you for open doors, dear God. I thank you for a group of people that have come to hear the precious word of God that is preached and taught here today. And we just want to stand on the preservation, the purity of thy holy scripture and the way that you have given it to us today. And Lord, we would believe it and trust on it by faith, dear God. But the most important, we would take heed to what you've given us in the Holy Scriptures as we would continue to, uh, to abound, Lord God, in the state that you have given us. And Lord, as we would look for that blessed hope, Father, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Father, as we see the things around us uh, that are occurring, we know that time is near. But nevertheless, let us occupy, let us press on toward a mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We ask it now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we see here in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, there, there are three things that we see in these verses that are vitally important, not, a, not just on the onset of this series, that, that will carry through and, and really come to Revelation at the end of this chapter. And most really and truly, it's mostly found in verse 2, but we use verses 1 and 3 as well to establish the context of what we are going to see in the weeks to come as well as today. It's a truth that is revealed, again, seen later on in the chapter within the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ. So the three things that we see is that we see, guys, we're going to see under the motivation of people's life. We're going to see that what motivates them. We often wonder many a times, are you motivated by truth? Are you motivated by gain? What are you motivated to follow the Lord Jesus Christ today? We know that a, a, a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by the movement and conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. They make their choice to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And from that point forward, what is going to motivate you to follow him? My hope, my prayer is to please him. The Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please him. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. I hope that your motivation is true, sound, and solid. But we're going to see here in John chapter 6, the overwhelming majority of the folk that you find following Jesus Christ have a whole different type of motivation altogether. We see that there is a multitude involved here. Verse 2 tells us a, a great multitude followed him. And some people today would say, well, hey, they are following him. They're doing the right thing. Uh, look, look at what's going on here. They are following Jesus Christ. And so we, we look and we interpret that too often many times as saying, man, they are lock, stock, and barrel. They are following Jesus Christ. They are obeying him. They are pleasing to him. But we find how they were moved, how they were moved. In verse 2, the next part, one of the parts says, because they saw. They were motivated, guys, within this multitude as a result of some things that they saw with their eyes. What did they see? We know they saw the miracles, his miracles which he did on them, that were disease. Their motivating factor that we find in this entire group of people were following Jesus Christ because of what they had seen with their eyes. 
Overwhelming proof, guys, has been found that when great multitudes are involved, or involved in a following, if you will, that it's always going to be based on some type of movement. Or one can say uh, they're moved by something. Uh, in this case, they're moved by that which they, uh, they can see with their eyes, which were the miracles, we understand. Lamentations tells us this in chapter 3, verse 51. He says that mine eye affecteth mine heart. Now, guys, good things. Let me say this real quick, guys. I want to make sure there's a disclaimer this morning. Good things we can see and do affect our heart as well. So I don't want to be, you know, negative Nancy up here in the pulpit all, all the time and saying that, you know, about the negativity. We understand there are good things that we can see that motivate us. We see good things in the Holy Scripture of God that motivate us and should motivate us. The Bible says and provoke us unto good works, if you will. Now, in the, in the, the, uh, the, uh, the lamenting prophet Jeremiah, it was the contrary, okay? His nation had turned their back against God. They had turned away from God. They had served idols. They had turned completely away, and therefore it had an effect on his heart. You could say, actually, it broke his heart. So we can be moved by what we are seeing or what we see when it's in the negative to do something positive even. So we can be motivated what's negative to feel negatively. We can be motivated what we see in the positive to do something positively. And we can see things that are negative and be motivated to do something that is positive. A great example is found, Acts 17, verse 16, when Paul uh, was there in Athens. The Bible says, uh, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city whole and giving to idolatry. He saw the entire city, pagans worshiping false gods, destined for a devil's hell, and he was stirred in his spirit to preach the truth unto them. And one of the most fascinating chapters in all the scriptures it is, Acts 17. So, however, though, in our life, when we're looking now at great multitudes, most of the time when we live on sight, now pay attention here, better yet, when we are moved by that which we see, touch, taste, or smell, or hear, we are eventually going to be like a wave tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, the Bible tells us. We have five senses, guys. Our eyesight is one of them. And beloved, living according to our sight, or let me rephrase this, living according to our senses is referred to biblically as sensual or sensuality. Now, our first thought when you hear that phrase sensual or sensuality, our first thought is to, is to go to something, to inappropriate sexuality or promiscuity. That's the first thing we think of. I understand that. But the word sensual, even though many times referring to sexual immorality, simply means living according to one's senses. Living according to what you hear, what you, what you see, what you smell. Living in such a way, guys, is wrong. Hands down. Can you imagine today that if you lived, and I'm going to tell you, I believe, I believe the overwhelming majority of people in our society today live and react according to what they hear or what they see on the telly or on social media. Now, you look back in the past three or four years, and we wonder why depression and desperation is such, uh, <clears throat> came in in such great waves in our world. You don't know who to believe. I mean, 99% of those of what you've seen out there on YouTube or social media <clears throat> or the news today have been proven to be nothing but liars. Amen. So imagine you put into your life that that's what's going to be the root and ground and the foundation of how you live in your life this today is what you see. Imagine how you're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Living according to your senses or sensual living is wrong. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, sensual devilish. For where envy and strife is, 
There is confusion, watch this, in every evil work. When sensuality is involved, it's, it's carnality, earthly, if you will, fleshly. It's devilish. It produces envy. It produces strife. And it brings forth confusion, which is associated with every evil work. In Jude's rebuke of the false teachers and the perverts of the word of God, he says in uh, verses 17 and 19, he says, But beloved, remember ye the words uh, which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last days who should walk after their own un ungodly lust." These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Now, guys, you can't, get any, you can't get any plainer than that, okay? These false teachers that they're, they're speaking of here, these perverts, they have not the Spirit. If they have not the Spirit of God, they are none of His. They are not born again. They are not saved. They are an empty house, probably being housed by a devil or moved by the sensuality of their own life. He's referencing the words, when he says the words of the apostles, he's referencing the words uh, not only of Lord Jesus Christ, but it's recorded in 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and, and this is how we, we know, and I know we're banging around in Jude in 2 Peter chapter 2 on Wednesdays right now, but this is how we know that Jude was more than likely written after Peter's epistles. Okay? There's, a great, there's a good chance that it was written just a couple of years before Peter was killed, or maybe right afterwards. Peter was killed in eighty sixty nine. But the Bible tells us here, and we know in 2 Peter, when he's speaking of the last days, guys, the days of which you and I are living in right now, stating that mockers would come forth, scoffing the Word of God, ridiculing the Scriptures, and Bible-believing churches that will mock you out for believing the Word of God is inerrant and perfect. I heard a woman chaplain yesterday. I, was, I was, uh, uh, saw it on, on, uh, on one of the social media things. I heard a woman chaplain from a university refer to the father as the prodigal son being the real great waster. It took every fiber of my being not to reply that. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Facebook warrior. I don't, I don't get into that. I'd rather drive to your house and sit down with you face-to-face, -face personally, you know. Everybody's a big talker, you know, big mover. They're big tough and everything online. You knock on their door, things change, but nonetheless. You know, guys, the worst interpretation of Scripture I've ever heard in my life, that the Father, the picture of God the Father, if you will, he was actually the great waster. What an idiot, man. I'm just going to call it like it is. It's one of the reasons these devilish peoples do, they, they do these things is because they're living by their senses. Guys, they, they are sensual. They are earthly. Uh, they, it means carnal. It means fleshly. What they, since they cannot see, taste, touch, or smell, or hear Jesus Christ as evidence of the validity of the Bible, they mock out. The Bible tells us they mock out what they do not understand. Peter writes of this same lot here, saying in 2 Peter in chapter 3, uh, he says... Um, he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, guys, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation, of the creation, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. He will go on into the rest of that chapter, guys, and we'll... See that at a later date, I'm sure. He'll go on and he'll reveal that the same judgment which fell upon those who mocked Noah out for 120 years is going to be the same judgment that's going to fall upon these sensual scoffers and mockers in the days to come. And I believe in the days to come soon. Guys, you know what? The Holy Scripture has given us, given us truth, has given us inerrancy, has given us a perfect word. 
perfect. Guys, I've told you this time and time again, if this Bible right here was not perfect, I would close it up, I would walk out of here, I'd never come back again. He has given us a perfect word just like he promised. 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect is come, the completed word of, the word of God. Jesus Christ had already came, died on the cross, buried in the grave, risen again, sat at the right hand of the throne of the God when Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13. He said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then when that which is perfect is come, the inspired and errant, perfect, pure, purified word of God, just as he promised in Psalm 12, 6, amen. Now I'm saying all that to say this this morning. The people that scoff this Bible, those that are part of this multitude that we're going to see here in just a moment, those that mock out the Holy Scripture, they are they, my friends, who are willingly ignorant of its truth. That just simply means they're willingly unknowledgeable. They turn their head and say, nope, I don't want to hear that. We discussed, I just want to hear about God as love. I don't want to hear that he's a jealous God in one of his names. I don't want to hear that he's a just God. I don't want to hear that he's a judgmental God. I don't want to hear that he's just God love. Just, just shower me with all the popcorn, unicorns. Just give me all that. doesn't work like that, guys. doesn't work like that. I, I heard a sermon preached the other day. An old friend of mine, an old, old, well, yeah, friend of mine. He had, he had posted a quote from it. And I said, you got the link for it. And I listened to it on the way down the, to the city the other day. And, and I'm not going to go over the whole thing, but one of the points the guy made, because he was preaching this sermon on the backside of his wife dying of cancer, and he says, we will never learn and know how to biblically rejoice without the dark times in our life. He said, God's not a vending machine that you could put a quarter in, this is an American preacher, a quarter, that you could put a quarter in and pick and choose what you want and pull the label or push the button and then just get it. It doesn't work like that. If you're going to have the rejoicing, you're going to have the heartache. If you're going to have the joy, you're going to have to go through the dark times. You're going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death in your life. If you want to see that daylight on the other side, that's just called life, my friend. We live in a world today where people would rather take a pill so they can just be numb and, and numb to every single thing and be untouched. Guys, I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the searing of your conscience, the searing of your heart, so that the Holy Spirit of God cannot come in and convict you of what you're doing wrong. That's what we see with these scoffers who are willingly ignorant today. We are given a perfect word of God right here in this AV. Secondly, guys, it's not up to you and me. It's not up to us to figure out the entire Bible. Can I say that? The Lord does not expect me to know verbatim all 66 books of the Bible. I commit to heart many, 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 many verses, and I do that on purpose. But there's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 in the New there's 1,189 chapters. There's seven, uh, seven, uh, 783,137 words. There's 3,116,488 letters in the Bible. 929 chapters are in the Old Testament made up of uh, 23,145 verses. 260 chapters in the New Testament made up of 7,957 verses. Can I say this to you? Jesus Christ, our Lord, does not expect me to know every single one of those verses backwards and forwards. But he does expect, rather, he does require that I believe every one of them. That's what he requires. When we taught on Revelation, guys, I told you then that Revelation is not hard to understand. When it's broken down dispensationally, it's a very, very simple book. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to believe. God's not interested in you understanding everything that's there. He wants you to believe it. Amen. He wants you to believe it by faith. Romans 14, 23. Whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Friend, listen to me this morning. 
If you're having problems understanding the Bible, start obeying the parts of the Bible that you do understand. Amen? Then the Lord's going to begin to open up an understanding to you about the, the parts that you do not. Now, to get back where we are here in John chapter 6, the Lord, we understand, is in a mountainous area as he begins to, to preach and perform these miracles and this multitude is following. We know it's by the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. Joshua chapter 11, 2 calls it Chinnereth. We understand it. The Bible is clear, though, as to the multitude's motivation. It was not that they loved the Lord. It was not that they had a heartfelt desire to be close to Him or near the Messiah. Matter of fact, it wasn't even that they want to be named among a certain camp, as we find so many people doing so today. Let me say this to you this morning. You better be careful what, which horse you hit your wagon to. Amen? Be careful which horse you... These influencers you find in the world, everybody's got a YouTube channel, they all got a short sleeve shirt and a tie and a whiteboard and a grease pen. You need to just, you know, be careful who you're hitching your horse to. Amen? Because they don't care about you. They care about the following. They don't care how it affects you and your family and your home and the local church and the missions and the gospel. They don't care. They care about their following, their likes and their numbers. You be very careful today who you're hitching your horse to, my friend. Here's the motivation, guys. The motivation here in John 6 is something altogether different. This multitude, uh, they're being moved by the miracles. And I can understand that. But they're being moved by that which they see. They're being moved by their senses. So let me sum it up to you this morning. We'll get into our three points and we'll, we'll be done in a while. I want to give you a clear interpretation of the multitude's mindset. You can write this down if you want. What can I get out of this? That's what it is. Guys, when you are motivated by your senses, what can, what, what's this going to do for me? It's about me. What, what am I going to get out of attending this Church, what am I going to get out of coming to this fellowship? What am I going to get out of staying after? What am I going to get out of being in the midst of this multitude? That's what it's about. That's the motivation. That's the mindset of the majority in this group. There's three things this, this multitude are looking for. They're looking for entertainment. Amen? They're looking for something to eat. Looking for energy. And, and these are the three motivating factors in many multitudes following today. It was like this in the days of Jesus Christ. And guys, it's even more so like this today. Human nature doesn't change. That's the problem. We're looking at the naturality of man rather than the supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit of God living in man. So I want us to look at the first motivating factor today of the multitude. I want you to see the entertainment factor, the entertainment factor this morning. Notice there with me in uh, verse 2 is where we'll be. It says, He saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Now, guys, we are living in a society today driven more and more by entertainment instead of education, edification, and exhortation. Mindless drones, guys, drifting through the day, seeking or scrolling, if you will, uh, for that next 40-second clip to fill that void in a never-ending lust of fulfillment. That's the world we live in. Marketing is based upon it. It's built upon it. It is marketing and genius that just that pulls people in just to give them just enough, if you will, to bring them back to the next one. Entertainment is not only in actions, but it's via information. The news media today, guys, as well as social media, and I'm not, guys, look, we're all over social media. I'm not, we're on it live right now. I get that. I know that it can be used for good, but it's overwhelmingly used for bad today. And it's hurting families and it's hurting people. You know what I think you ought to do? I think you ought to limit the amount of time that you're on your phone or your tablet today in this world. 
I, when we, we were away in June, well, a couple of weeks in June, but, uh, but I took the month of June, and I said, no, I'm off my, off, no social media. I'm off of it all together, turned all my notifications off, and it was probably the, the most unstressful month I've had in decades. What a blessing it was. But anyway, I'm saying this to you this morning, guys. We live in a world that is built on information. And it's, it, that can be gossip in the, in the village, which is in every village, town, and city. We know that it is. But we live in a society that's bent on being the very first one to release a story, no matter its accuracy. The days of true fact-checking, those are gone. Okay. But, but this, this is nothing new, and I think it should be expected in the world that we live in. And I want you to carefully listen to what I'm getting ready to say, because we know the society is on a downward slide. We know that. The Bible tells us that evil men shall wax worse and worse, uh, deceiving and being deceived, okay? There's nowhere in the Scripture that tells us dispensationally that our world's going to get better. Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes at the second coming, sets his foot on the mountain of us, and establishes his millennial kingdom. By the way, as a church, we're coming back with him, amen? I was reading a man yesterday who was bent beyond reason, reason at all that the church was going through the tribulation period. You are a fool if you believe that. You are an absolute, you're bonkers, man. Why? It's not meant for the church. It's Daniel's 70th week that was appointed unto Daniel's people who are Israel. It's the final seven years that God is dealing with the 490 that he applied with them. And we find it's clear, it's in Scripture. But again, we go back to the people that are willingly ignorant. Why? Because it's more entertaining to get people in a group and say, hey, we're going to have to fight the Antichrist. Guys, it's not a Hollywood film. Our life's not based on who we're going to fight. Our, our warfare today is not carnal. Guys, it's spiritual, amen. The weapons of our warfare, it's the only offensive weapon we have is this Bible right here, the sword of the Spirit that we're told to put on. Amen. Saying all that to say this, guys, I want you to mark this down. A society or a culture living away from God and living sensually, according to their senses, that is, will always, you mark my word, will always seek entertainment over enlightenment, Period. I'll say it to you again. A society or a culture living away from God and living sensually, which is according to their senses, will always seek entertainment over enlightenment. Acts 17, we return to Athens again as a reference to this. In verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul uh, waited uh, for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And verse 20 tells us very clearly there, verse 20 says, For thou bringest, this is after Paul goes to Mars Hills, and he preaches unto them uh, the unknown God, and he preaches unto them this unknown God that they know not who it is, the empty pedestal in their Parthenon. He preaches the truth of the word of God. And he, they say, For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. Tell or hear some new thing. Entertainment works both ways. Gossip and the bloodlust for information as, we, as well as a false worship in the church today. Paul addressed this topic. Paul addressed this topic with the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, when we look at the entertainment factor. Now guys, I, you, know, you know the biblical position and I'm going to hit some things now that I, real, I know that I'm going to get some dirty emails from. It's not from you guys them when paul addressed the gifts in first corinthians 14 
Now, we had a, we had a man here. I'm going I'm to sidetrack. I got time this morning. We had a man here years ago, great man, nice guy, tremendous guy. It was part of the Wednesday morning Bible studies that we were having when we had two services on, Sunday, on Wednesday. He kept pushing the issues of tongues and the second and third and fourth and fifth blessings. And as if God, when he saves you, can't give you enough to make you saved all the way, you know. And I said, well, if I can show you one verse. And of course, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 14, 22. For tongues are assigned to those that are, what's the next word? Lost. L-O-S-T, lost, unsaved. I said, if I can show you one verse that are not for today, would you believe me? He said, no. Willingly ignorant. Wants the entertainment. Can I say this to you this morning, that Paul addressed this topic of tongues. He addressed the topic of healings with the Corinthians. But as bad off as the Corinthian church were, never once did they call the speaking of gibberish a gift of tongues. Not one time. First time the word tongue shows up, we, it shows up at the Tower of what? Babel, right? We were all of one tongue. God, what did he do? He confounded the tongues. He divided the tongues. What is a tongue? It's a language. It's not libel, 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 libel. That's not what it is. Never has been. Well, what about a heavenly language? I'll tell you what, guys, in all fairness, if the, whatever heavenly language, whatever it may be, okay, is probably Hebrew. You say, why is that? Well, when God spoke to Paul, even though he was a Jew, he was, a, he was multilinguistic himself. He, he, he was multilingual. And he was the minister unto the Gentiles. So if anything, he should have spoken to him in Greek, if that be the case. But God spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. Not an unknown tongue. I'm saying all that, guys, because it's an entertainment factor. I've been there. I've been in those places. The Bible tells me very clearly, guys, that God is not the author of confusion. Now, when the, the, charismatics, when the charismatic movement began, it, it was not from God, guys. And if it's not from God, who is it from? Again, we go back to James 3.16. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Beloved, just don't accept everything and anything there. Back it up with the Scripture. Set a dividing line. Make a boundary in your life, guys. Do you know there has not been one major Bible teacher, pastor, or evangelist, or missionary in the history of the Christian church who ever spoke in tongues as you see today or even mentioned the speaking of tongues? The, the charismatics in the States, they had to rewrite the history and brought in people like Oral Roberts and Benny Hinn and Catherine Coleman and all to make a different history, guys. But well, the truth of the matter is, no one in the apostolic times, before or after Nicaea, the Great Awakening, the Dark Ages, the Renaissance period, the Cumberland Valley Revival, the revivals of Howard Harris in our own valley here, Christmas Evans through our own valley and country, Daniel Rowland on our own street, D.L. Moody throughout all England and the States, R.L. Torrey, or Billy Sunday in Pacific Gardens missions. Not one of them spoke in tongues or saw the need thereof. And I'm talking about biblical tongues. The modern tongue movement began in 1900 on the Azusa Street Mission in downtown Los Angeles in a so-called church with a woman preacher. Just before our Welsh Revival in 1904, but in 1906, the Welsh Revival ended and a movement was picked up by synthetic and cessationalists and walked all over Wales, leaving a wake of destruction. You know what they did? When you take that movement and you say, well, this is what, this is evidence of salvation. We're taken from Acts chapter 2, which was only for the Jews. It was only Jews present that day. The 120 that heard them, they heard them in their own language, of which they were born in after the dispersion. They were, every single one of them were Jews. Not one of them were a Gentile. <clears throat> Not one. 
But when you take that and you twist it and you bring it into our world today, do you know what you do? You become an amillennialist. You become replacement theologists. And you start taking the gifts that were meant for Israel and you place them in the church. You start robbing Israel of their inheritance and you place it to the church. What does that do? That either eliminates the, revelation, the tribulation period, the seven years, as Catholicism does, or it puts us through it. You see what I'm saying? You understand the slippery slope when you begin to mess with history and mess with the Bible? 1900, 19, really 1901, gave birth to the Laodicean church, church age, the last and final church age. We'll read about it in Revelation chapter 3. You see, beloved, I'm here to say this to you this morning. Again, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. You know, the other side of the coin of entertainment, my friend, doesn't have to be happy clapping. I always thought it was funny because I'm an American and we would hold the meetings here and <clears throat> a lot of the parents would say, was well, he happy clapping? Is he happy? I don't know. I didn't know what happy clapping meant. I found out later on what it meant. And no, I'm not. I do get excited, get happy, but I'm not going to, listen, I'm going to speak in English. You may not understand it sometimes, but it's going to be English, amen. So, but guys, entertainment's found in sad stories as well. People are entertained by sad stories. They're entertained, they're entertained by emotional films, books, and things like that. What does that mean? That means that some of our worship has, has gone the other side to, in our churches today. You, you take the high church, the Church of England and Wales. They turned a Sunday morning worship into a depression session. You know, the, the, singing songs that sound nothing more than it's made for a funeral, the nine-minute sermonette that has no scripture in it whatsoever, and bringing out one soul to salvation. You do a little digging, you start reading their 39 articles they hold to, you'll find out why the gospel is not preached there. They don't believe it. They believe that in, in predestination. They believe you're chosen from the foundation of the world, and you have no control whatsoever on your salvation. Man, if that be the case, God's a sadist, isn't he? If that be the case, the Holy Spirit's a liar when he, a liar when he inspired Peter to write that, uh, uh, that he's not willing that any should perish. If that be the case, then Paul, the greatest Christian that ever walked the face of the planet, he's wrong in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, not be, shall be saved, Right? What's simple, isn't it, when you take Scripture and you just allow Scripture to teach you? But a lot of this multitude, guys, they look for entertainment. Secondly, the motivating factor of the multitude we find is simple. They look for something to eat. Now, you guys, you may say, preacher, that's a little far-fetched. And I understand that it's early on in the chapter, and it'll come, it'll come back to it a little bit. It'll come back to you a little bit more in the weeks to come. But I want you to remember, what was a clear, what was a clear interpretation of the multitude's mindsets? What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? Let me ask you this. How many people in our village alone will attend coffee morning after coffee morning after coffee morning just for the refreshments and the free coffee or tea? They'll listen to the devotion. They'll listen to the Bible reading. They'll put up with all that, but they're coming for the coffee and tea. You take the coffee and tea and the biscuits away, one by one, one by one, they'll leave. It's proven scripturally, number one, but we've also seen it here. Our society has become so conditioned to handouts, be it from the government's charities and even, yes, the church house. Too many churches today are using things to lure folk into the door, and I understand. But you need to remember this today, guys. How you catch them is how you're going to have to keep them. And if you're catching them through entertainment, if you're catching them through eatery, if you, in the, like we hear about the Church of England, having wine and cheese meetings, are you kidding me? 
That's how you're going to have to keep them. Lastly, this morning, guys, the final motivating factor of the multitude is going to be the energy that's there, the energy. And there is energy in a great multitude. Verse 2 says, a great multitude followed him. Uh, there is an energy, there is an excitement there, which comes attractive and even addictive with a large crowd, especially when they're moving in the same direction seemingly. In a fairly recent study, guys, on crowd management, the use of non-lethal weapon for crowds, uh, crowd control, a few stereotypes were debunked. And I wasn't privy to this until I read this study. But it said uh, one of the findings established that, that crowds seldom move in unison, meaning a crowd or a multitude could all be together, walking or moving in the same direction or gathering, but have separate agendas, ideologies, and even intentions, and yet still feed on one another's energies. And there's a great biblical example for that, if you will. Acts chapter 19, verses 28 through 34 says, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having called Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And verse 31 tells us, uh, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were uh, his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried the one thing, and some another. For the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not, knew not wherefore they come together. One big crowd. Drawing these men out, let's beat them up, get Paul out here. But they were all there for different reasons. Matter of fact, if you read the chapter on, you'll find out that it wasn't until a commonality, which was the hatred for the Jews, if you will, were they brought together in a common ground. Motivation, guys. John chapter 6 gives us a, an insight, and in these first few verses, a bit of an insight to the motivation of the multitudes in our society today, in our world. Human nature doesn't change. But those who are saved, born again of the blood of Christ, the Bible tells us, behold, all things become new. We, we are to put on the new man. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, but put you on, uh, but put off the old man, but put you on the new man, yeah? And he says, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There are things that we do in our life, changes that we must make in our life, and that includes our motivation. But where does our motivation come from? It can't come from our senses. It can't come back from looking and saying, well, let me evaluate, how do I feel today? How does that sound? How does that look? You understand but rather the holy spirit of god bearing witness with us so we understand that our natural human nature is crucified with christ when we give our way to the filling or having a full influence of the holy spirit of god so these are the three motivations and many multitudes in our world today entertainment something to eat and then the energy and just like in the days of jesus christ and i honestly believe in all of my heart more so probably today People are being moved by what they see, what they want to see, what their senses are, rather than being allowed the Holy Spirit of God to move them in their lives. So guys, I'm going to ask you here this morning, when the gospel is preached and the truth of the Word of God is known, does the Spirit of God bear witness with your heart and your soul? Does it make a difference in you? Does it move you in a way to want to draw closer to Jesus Christ? I'm saying it should. The Scripture says that it should. Because truth is going to stand for itself. 
And beloved, the deciding factor for you serving the Lord today, the deciding factor for you being in this church this morning, the deciding factor for you being in church, whenever the doors are open, needs to be, is the truth being preached. Not how you feel. Not how eloquent the preacher may be. Not how wonderful and, and touching the songs are. My soul, man, it shouldn't even be according to the youth programs. And the, the deciding factor for you being in the house of God needs to be is the truth preached. That's the difference that's made in our life, and that's what's going to make a difference in your life today. If you're here today and you're saved, you're born again in the blood of Christ, then praise the Lord. You have a responsibility this morning to study to show thyself approved unto God, true, but to obey and believe the Scriptures more than anything else in this life this morning. Will you bow your heads today? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for the the opening door, Father, of this series in John 6. And I pray as the weeks continue to go forward, we ask that you touch our hearts, our lives, our minds, dear God, that you would bring us uh, just to the, to the truth of the Holy Scriptures. As we look at the life of Christ, the miracles that were performed, the works that were done. But, Father, when we begin to look at the spiritual side of all of this, dear God, I pray that we will be driven, that we be provoked unto good works, that we be driven to follow and obey you more, draw closer to you, as we draw closer together one toward another. Lord, we love you. We thank you, dear God. I ask you to bless our closing hymn and our time together in fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer, 
in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.